three things. Um, attachments, beliefs, and fears. And it's, uh, it's what's under. It's what's under why I can't make progress. It's what's under why I can't have peace and contentment, even though I'm not drinking. Because all of us start out, all of us start out thinking, if I could just stop drinking and get free of this drinking, the drugs, if you're an Al-Anon, if I could just get free of being totally consumed by worrying about my alcoholic, right, um, then I'd be happy. Well, now those things, those initial things have been removed, have been addressed, right? But I'm not happy. The hell is that about, right? So let's talk about attachments first. Attachment is, I have an idea that without some certain thing or person or circumstance, I can't be happy. So um, common attachments are money. When I get enough money, I won't be afraid about my money. I'll feel secure if I have enough money. Education is sometimes a big one. I, I got my degree. That's what I came here for. And now I've gone out into the world and I find out I need an advanced degree. So I'm going back to school because I am really attached to this idea that there's something that's going to enhance my life to the point where I don't feel this way anymore. If I could just capture it, if I could just capture it, right? Another one, a common one is relationships. If I could just get in a decent relationship. Frankly, when I'm new, newly sober, if you're in a relationship with me, it can't be decent. Because I'm not decent. I'm mentally ill. So anyway, those ideas are in there, right? If I could just get a partner, if I could just find someone to, to spend my life with, to be in love with, and then I find someone, and what happens? You know that expression, love is blind? Everyone's heard that, love is blind. Love isn't blind. The attachment is blind. So what it is, is I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for this relationship because I have an idea that if I can get the relationship, then it will be the solution to my problem. Alanons know this really well because it's it's really raw and right in their faces when they come in. So, so I get this person, I find this person, or if you like, I capture this person <laughs> and I I start to get to know them. And you hear this in Al-Anon stories all the time. I grew up in a family of drinkers, and I wanted never, ever to fall in love with a drinker or marry a drinker. And I met this wonderful guy. I met this wonderful girl. And she, she was the answer to my attachments. She was the answer to my prayers, we call them. They're attachments, right? And, uh, and then I, I started dating, and I found out that she drank or he drank. And then sometimes to excess. And I, this is the blinding of the attachment. I set that aside and I told myself, well, it's not that bad. Or we can work that out later, right? I can work with this. And now immediately I'm compromising my values to be in this relationship. It's not because of the love. It's because of the blindness of the attachment. Do you get what I'm saying? It's my need for this supersedes a rational process, 
right? So I will overlook the things that seems to be an impediment to me satisfying my agenda, getting my attachment met. You know, it could be houses, it could be cars, it could be a lifestyle, it could be boats, it could be anything. It could be anything. It could be I'm a single guy and, and I love being single, but I just like to be a little more comfortable with myself, right? So now I'm looking for ways to be comfortable. Maybe I'll go take a, a night course, a law, uh, a course, a uh, comedian thing or something. Maybe I will, you know, start exploring the museums around. Maybe I'll, I'm looking for something that's going to solve that missing piece. That's what an attachment is. And the promise is that when I get it, it will fix the, the inadequacy I feel in myself. Now, there's a couple of things with attachments that's really kind of cool. When you get one, there's a rush. When you get that, when it looks like I'm satisfying that attachment, there's a rush. And then that's replaced with the fear that I'm either not going to measure up or you're not going to measure up. You know, when's the other shoe going to drop kind of thing? So that leads us into the third, the third filter, which is the fear filter, which is, you know, me, I've talked about this for years. It's I'm not safe. Some version of the, the idea I'm not safe. So let me, uh, let me pull this up. And some of you are familiar with this sheet. Some of you aren't. This is the basic instinct sheet. And so we have a social, a security, and a sex instinct, right? While those are in a normal operational level, I'm fine. When those go into demand or entitlement, I'm in deep trouble. Because now what the fear says is, if I don't get that prestige satisfied, if I don't get the companionship, if I don't get the acceptance I need, or go over to the security institute, if I don't get the money and the lifestyle I need, I won't be enough. So that the question becomes, what part of self created the fear? It's all on me. It's never on you. It's all on me because I'm making up a story about everything going on in my life. I make it up a story, which then leads me into these, I, these. so I've got the attachments and the neurotic desire to have those satisfied with a belief that it's going to make everything different. And I go from wanting to have the thing or the person or the circumstance, and as soon as I get it, then I got to figure out how am I going to hold on to it? How am I going to not lose it? There's where the fear comes in. And so in and around that, we have a belief system. And this is, this is step work 101. What do you believe? Do you believe you're all powerful? Do you believe you're a great manager? Or do you believe you're powerless? And do you believe that you need an assist for a step? What do you believe? Well, here's a, here's a AA calls these beliefs old ideas. They're, they're beliefs that we cling to because most of us acquired those beliefs in some form when we were little boys and girls around six, seven years old. The foundation for this was already laid. So I'm going, uh, what's the belief? Well, the belief is self-reliance. The belief is in dualism, right, wrong, good, bad, win, lose. And in this culture, 
If you're not a winner, there's only one other option. You're a loser. There's no second place. There's only first place. There's only numero uno, right? And anything less than that, I'm conditioned to believe is a failure. Hmm. So that's a big one, self-reliance. The whole country brags about it. The whole country talks about self-reliance. This is America. If you're willing to work hard and sacrifice, you can have anything you want. Because this is the land of opportunity. Unless you're a woman, unless you're a person of color, right? <laughs> then it's a little different scenario, right? But beliefs. Here's another belief. I'm not safe. That's the fear belief. And that becomes a filter. So is this one. Um, and if you have children, you know this from, from observation. But kids cop attitudes at a really early age through observation and repetition. So I think if I get enough reinforcements to tell me somehow I'm getting the message I'm not good enough, that's shame. Now, these are think of these like programs running on your computer, like virus scanning programs that run in the background. I got a fear program and I got a shame program running all the time. All the time. So all the data that comes into me through my senses gets passed through those filters. Right? Attachment, belief, fear, shame. I believe I'm not good enough. I wasn't born that way. I was shaped into that. It wasn't malicious. It just was a product, <coughs> pardon me, of the family I grew up in, the culture I grew up in, the school I went to, the whole deal, the church I went to. It was a product of that. And I don't think anyone was being malicious about it, but I think that the messaging was really, was really incomplete. And it really wasn't helpful for a guy like me. For someone else, they might have a totally different experience. So what are my beliefs? So we get to the second step. Do you, what do you, what do you, where, where are you at with this power idea? Not do you believe in God. Do you believe there's something other than you? Because we're selfish and self-centered. We're driven by that self-centered fear, which is always, I've got this calculation going. Because I'm obsessed with me, keeping me safe, and also prospering me. <clears throat> and I have that's accompanied with this fear that I'm not good enough and I don't deserve it. So do I believe there's a power greater than me? Not do I believe in God or the baby Jesus or Muhammad or Abba. Do I believe there's a power greater than me? And now I have to add a caveat because I was an incredible cynic, a power greater than me that is constructive in its essence. Because I would go, there's plenty of powers greater than me. I could go stand out on the highway and that white freightliner coming down the pipe, 70 miles an hour is a power greater than me. My Smith & Wesson is a power greater than me. Cynical, unexamined idea. So I had this big argument about how that power idea was just nonsense and kind of Disney-esque, if you will. And But the real question behind that is, what would you give yourself to? 
Now that's a different reflection. That wasn't given to me from the external, it came from the internal. Perhaps you should ask yourself, what would you give yourself to? Not, what would you not give yourself to? We're pretty clear on that, right? And we're also clear on the fact that that doesn't work. So when I acquiesce to this idea, this belief, maybe I'm not the Alpha and the Omega. You know, self-reliance. I can talk my way out of any jam I've gotten in. I've always done that. But a couple of times I ended up in jail, but most of the time I was pretty successful, especially with civilians, people that were, that were not schooled in my sarcasm and manipulations, right? The cops were a little harder to sell. But so there's an idea. When I can accept, here's the, here's the challenge. Can you bring a new idea in and actually examine it? The examination question is, what does that mean to me? And then when I come up with what it means to me, is that serviceable? Can I access that idea? Or if I do access it, what are the potential outcomes? When I'm coming from self-centered fear, the potential outcomes are always bad, worse, and awful. And I get to choose, but it's from a pretty negative place. So can you make a decision to go for it? Huh. I don't know. And on we go. The steps are so beautiful that way because they just keep incrementally challenging my belief system. And right away, I get put in front of my fears, right? Fear, resentment, sex conduct, fourth step. Huh. So this way of seeing is learned. I learned how to see the world this way. Some of that I learned through observation. Some of that my brain just made up. This is how we're going to get through this. This thing called life. This is how we're going to do this. Right? And so I start making up agendas that need to be fulfilled. Those are my attachments. And the promise of those attachments is what? When I get the goal, I won't feel like this. But I got a lot of my goals, and some of you did too. And after I got the goal and the, and the nice rush of achieving it wore off, which was usually a 60, 90-day deal with me, wore off, I just got hungry again. I must need more. Thought I needed to make 50,000. I made 50,000 and it didn't work. So maybe I need 75,000. And I never see the flaw in the ideas. I never see, even when you get your goal, even when you get the thing you say you're attached to, the thing you want more than anything is going to solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem, it creates more problems. So, this is the process of asking myself, what do I believe? What do I believe and how's it working? And the answer for all of us in recovery is, well, I know what I believe and it hasn't worked very well at all. What's our obsession? The great obsession is I'll figure out a way to make this work. And just coincidentally, I'll be able to keep drinking too. That's gotta be killed. That's gotta be beaten out of us. And what beats that out of us isn't anyone on the outside, it's on the inside, it's the truth. And the truth just whoops my ass. It just beats on me until I have to acquiesce, okay? So 
attachments, beliefs, and fears. So another way to look at the attachments, when you're going through the steps and you get to six and seven, there's a question between six. It asks the question, you really give all this stuff to God. And then it asks you to ask for removal. In between that, it asks you this. Is there anything you still cling to? Oh, you mean like an attachment? Would that be a clinger? Yeah, that would be a clinger. Attachment, things I cling to. What do I not want to get rid of? What do I not want to let go? I still want to be able to run my checkbook the way I want. I still want to be able to spend money the way I want, even though I don't have the money. That's called debt, right? Or I still want to run my personal life. I'll do this AA thing with the drinking. And I'll go to some of your meetings and all that. But when it comes to women over here, I'll be taking care of that. And <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> my experience is this. Just my experience. Everything that you will not put through this process will end up being a cancer on you. Eventually, you're either going to leave or you're going to deal with it because it will become so unmanageable that it demands to be dealt with. Money is one of those for me. You know, no matter, I always said I need to make more money to get out of debt. But the thing I couldn't see was I always spent about 15% more than I made, whether I made 10,000 or 100,000. So because of my belief system around money, I would be in perpetual debt the rest of my life. So until my ideas about managing that changed, no, no effect could be manufactured other than the one I had, right? So is love blind? Am I blind? Here's some beliefs I ran into recently. You know, our culture, again, all this is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, and I don't expect all of you to. But our culture does such a poor job with death and dying. And one of the things that's happened to me over the years, I've helped a lot of people die. And in that process, and in that process, I had to ask myself, what is life? What is this thing they call death? Is it an end? Is it a beginning? You know, the, uh, the, uh, The opposite of birth is not death. The opposite of birth is life, right? So, so here's the deal. I'm going to, like when my mom passed, my mom, her belief was when you die, the lights go out, the curtain comes down. That made for a very fearful ending for her. I, I have to look at my beliefs. Do my beliefs comfort me and advance me, help me evolve, or do they keep me stuck, trapped, and devolve me, right? So I, I did this. Uh, some of you know that Reiner he used to come here to the gathering. Um, he passed. The cancer got him. And I was visiting with the family. They asked me to come up and do the celebrational life service, and I did. And it was a gasp, but I'm watching the room. And I'm talking to the people before the service. And everyone's, there's, the general consensus is God took Reiner. That's not my concept of God. God receives. 
Cancer took Reiner, not God. So again, just my, my idea of this, but I'm watching people and they're, they're wringing their hands and crying. They're grieving over their loss, not the loss of Reiner. Do you get what I'm saying? What is this going to mean to me? And I know this sounds can sound cold, but I don't mean it that way. But it's that grief, that kind of grieving is really self-centered. And I'm not saying it's not a loss and it has to be dealt with, but you can stay stuck in that for a long time. I know a family that's been setting a place for their son that died for 20 years at the dinner table. That's not healing. That's not healing. That's keeping the wound open. So I'm looking at these people came to the service. We had about 120 people. We had about 70 people online. They zoomed it. And I was, what brought me there was not his death. It was his life. It was the love he sowed. What brought me there was love. It wasn't the tragedy. So I was talking to the family. And, and some of you know me well enough to know it philosophically where I'm at with some of this stuff. But there is goodness in everything that appears to be bad. There's in every tragedy, there's a silver lining. And example, Reiner dies a horrible death with cancer. The silver lining is everybody who loved him got to come and say goodbye. They got to come and say goodbye. They got to clean up their loose ends if they had any, do their amends. Everything was solid. And when it got, when everyone got done, Reiner just said, I'm getting rid of this body. I'll be moving on now. Thank you very much. Right? So I I get that. And I uh, I'd offer this. And I'm I'm not saying that a dear one dying isn't a isn't a difficult event, but you can make it better and you can make it harder. So example, I look. I look to nature for an example about life and death and and uh, have a walk I take in the woods and a big storm comes through and my 100-year-old oak tree is burnt, blown down. And I'm going, oh, my favorite tree is dead. It's dead. That's what it looks like. Dead. But then you come back three, four, six months later, the tree trunk has burst open. There's moss growing in there. There's bugs growing in there. There's flowers growing in there. Did the tree die or did the tree just change its form? You know, when the, when the natives would kill a bison, the first thing they do is pray for it and thank it for its sacrifice. That's a different orientation. That's this idea of life being a cycle, not an end, just a cycle. So. There's some things to think about, I think. And they're worth consideration because those filters, the attachments and the beliefs and the fears are what produce the life experience that I'm having. They are what give me my view of you, of people, of life, of circumstances, of all these things we're talking about. Those are the things that are, that are conditioning my perception. And so when you look at the great teachers, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, all these people, the Rishis in India, um, they all taught love. 
Tailtown love. Unconditional love. I'm not that evolved. But I can try. I can try. You know what I'm saying? I love and I try to love without condition. I love you because I want for you your highest good. I love you because I see that you are my brother. You are my sister. I understand that on a spiritual plane basis. I don't always act that way. And so I have some resets. When I get sucked into my worldly view, and I think, what an asshole. The next thing I think is, one or two things, I say a prayer, bless them, change me, which immediately changes the dynamic. Or I look at it from a larger view, and I just say, you know what? Don't forget, Roger, everybody's got a story. Everybody's carrying a burden, and you don't know what it is. So just love them. You don't have to endorse their crap, but understand that crap is coming from pain. It's coming from fear. It's coming from shame. And everybody has a story, don't they? Every one of us has a story. Different things, different wounds, different boo-boos, different traumas. But we all know it right for free. We've all had this happen. It's life. It's not, it's not being picked on. Life is amoral. It doesn't give a rip, you know? I go, God is good. God is great. And then a tornado comes and rips my roof off. Why did God let that happen? It's not God. It's nature. God is in the response. You see it all the time in the Caribbean when a hurricane comes through or down south when a hurricane comes through. All of a sudden, there are no Republicans and Democrats. There are no whites, blacks, Latinos. They're just people. And they're running around trying to help each other. Because that, that shared trauma, that shared tragedy is the equalizer. What's the book talk about? Our book talks about like, like passengers in a great liner right after being rescued. When we're all in the water, it doesn't matter what your profit and loss statement is. We're out here, we're going to die if we don't help each other, right? A great equalizer. New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.